Let's all turn in our Bibles to the book of Romans. We're going to be in chapter 13, uh, looking at verses 8 to 14 uh, this morning. I titled this morning's message, Loving Your Neighbor Fulfills the Law. These first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul spent great detail in explaining our great salvation. And, and it's something that we all rejoice in, this, this salvation that God has made available to us. Paul declared it in these 11 chapters of Romans. But then we got into the practical side. And Paul always followed up doctrine with the practical side of what we should do with what we know. And that started in chapter 12, verse 1. Paul started with a command. He said that we're to present our bodies as living sacrifices unto God. He also wrote in verse 2, he says, Don't be conformed to this world, Christians. I inserted that. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's what we're commanded to do as, as Christians, to, to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. He exhorted us to serve God with our spiritual gifts. He told us that we're to love without hypocrisy, that we're to abhor what is evil, and that we're to cling to what is good. That's the duty, really, of every Christian. It's what we should be like. Bless those who persecute you, Paul says, and bless and do not curse. That also is something that's contrary to our flesh, what our flesh wants to do. It doesn't want to bless and love on people that are persecuting us. It's an unnatural thing, isn't it? But we're called as Christians to do a lot of things that are unnatural. But you'll never be able to do them in your own strength or in your own effort. It's only God in you that enables us to be able to bless those who persecute you. He says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. We learned about that last week that God has placed all of the government that we live under here and all of the governments that govern all the nations of the world, he's put them into place. Whether they be good or evil, God has ordained the authorities that are in power. God raises up kings and he puts down kings. But he also calls us as Christians because God has placed them in those places of authority over us to be subject unto them. That's also something that our flesh doesn't want to do, especially for those people that live under corrupt governments, under evil regimes and and, and governments that really, they would want to resist, they would want to come up against, just like we are seeing even in our own nation now. We finished last Sunday in verse 13, 
excuse me, verse 7 of chapter 13, where Paul says, Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Paul writing to the Christians that were living in this Roman Empire where there were lots of taxes, lots of customs, lots of duties that were put upon the people, just like we live under in the United States of America and many other countries and nations that live under governments that tax the people. And we're to, and we're called to, render to Caesar those things that are Caesar's and to those things that are God, render them to God. That's what we're called to do as Christians. Not to resist, not to say I'm not paying, I don't believe I owe them, but God has told us to pay. And he tells us why, because God has placed governments, he's placed these local authorities for our protection, for our good. And those all take money to run. Whether or not we think that they get too much, that's another question. But we're called to render to Caesar. We come now this morning to verse 8. And last week it was rendered to those things that are due. Today it's in verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, we might say that that's the key verse to what we're going to be talking about this morning. We might paraphrase the first part of verse 8 this way. Owe no one anything except to continually love one another. Well, we're called to, and we owe taxes, don't we? We owe, how many of you have a house payment? How many of you have a car payment? How many have credit card? How many have, how many of you have bills? I think we all do to some degree. And we pay those debts. And really this section of Romans, some people have gotten in and tried to, to, to build the whole thing around, the whole thing of Christians not being in debt. Christians not having Creditors, not even having a house payment, car payment, or any kind of a debt at all. Business debt, church debt. And I don't think that that's really the emphasis that Paul is making here. He is talking about owing things and, and being good stewards of those things because we all have them. But the emphasis here is not so much upon our debts that we owe to creditors, though he is speaking of that, But he's talking about this debt that we owe to loving others and loving one another. And he goes on to say that this is actually the fulfillment of the law. That's pretty simple. But when you really start thinking about it, how difficult that is to actually love one another unconditionally sacrificially. The way the Lord loves us is the way that we're called to love one another. The only thing that we're allowed to continually owe is divine love. Yeah, how many of you have paid off a car? 
How many of you have paid off certain bills and it felt so good? You paid that creditor back. And, it was, and we're called to do that as Christians, not to renege on our commitment to repay debt. But when those debts are paid, they're done. I'm done. We don't have to pay for our car again. It's a done deal. But there is one kind of a debt that we will continually be indebted to. And that's the indebtedness to love one another. This love that we call divine love, it's, uh, it's the Greek word agape. It's that supernatural love that we read about all the way through the scriptures. We see it in our Lord being exemplified in his life towards us. And, and it's what's produced in our hearts when the Holy Spirit came and made residence within you, when you became born again and God's Spirit came to live inside of you, that divine love entered into you. It's that divine supernatural love that God says you're indebted to love others with. And I will give you by my Holy Spirit the ability to be able to love people that way. You see, all of us became indebted to the grace of God the day that you gave your life to Christ. You, in a sense, owe the same divine love that was imparted to you. You owe that divine love to others. You see, Paul said in Romans 5.8, God demonstrated His love towards us while we were yet sinners. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the kind of love that we're talking about. That would extend itself towards the unlovely. Towards the people that maybe have even done you wrong. Uh, In those situations in our homes between husband and wife, when things are not necessarily going so well, that God calls me to extend that love towards my spouse, even when they're unlovely, unloving, and not really responding in the same way that I'm giving out. God calls us to love. As God has shown us His own love, then we also need to extend it to others. It's a high obligation. It's something God has called us to. It's something that when we think about it, we think, man, Lord, unless you do that in me, there's certain areas and certain people and certain situations that God, I honestly can't do that. That's just being honest. But God, I know that you want to do it in me. And Lord, you need to change my heart. You need to work that in me. And I believe that if you sincerely pray that, God will do it. The Phillips translation reads this way. Keep out of debt altogether. Accept the perpetual debt of love which we owe to one another. The man who loves his neighbor has obeyed the whole law in regard to his neighbor. Weiss translation reads this way. Stop owing every every person even one thing, except to be loving one another, for the one who is loving another 
has fulfilled the law. You see, we're not under the law anymore, are we? We're not saved by the law, and we are no longer under the dictates of the law in the sense of our salvation. But the law is just, and it's holy, and it's good. And God never said that the law was wrong. But it's just that it can't save us. But we still live up to those things that we find written in the law. Paul, in essence, is saying to us, after you have paid all other debts in life, be indebted in the matter of love alone. Let that one one word, love, be the one word that fulfills the law. As Christians, we're called to love each other. Do you find that fairly easy? I wouldn't say easy, because not all the time as Christians do we love one another the way we're called to. But it's easier than loving people that don't love us. Loving those that would persecute us. That, that is a lot more difficult, isn't it? But we're called to love our neighbor. And that neighbor is not speaking about the address in your neighborhood. You know, the one that lives next door or across the street. The actual word there, neighbor, and and the, and the, the whole emphasis upon loving your neighbor is just people that you're around day in and day out. That's your neighbor. It's the people that you work with or that maybe you go to school with. It is your neighbor next door. It's people that you associate with on a regular basis or that you see. Those are your neighbors. Those are the ones that we're called to love. To love your neighbor is not just in word, but it's in action. It's to agape them. It's to supernaturally and unconditionally and sacrificially love them. We're all called to do that as Christians. Why? One, it's a great witness of Jesus Christ. It's a great witness of that love that He has extended to you, that you now would extend it to somebody else in the name of Jesus Christ by your actions, by what you would do. And the Holy Spirit will enable you to do that. Paul wrote in Galatians 5.22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Do you know the rest of it that follows that? The fruit of the Spirit is, number one, it's love. And then out of that love comes these other things. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things that follow love are what come out of love. That's the fruit of God's Holy Spirit in you. We should be able to experience joy. It should be evident in my life, this joy. I should be able to experience peace. 
And then people see the peace of God on me. How about when even all this stuff's going on and and people are able to witness this peace that's upon you? Long-suffering, being patient. Why are you always so patient? And the rest of my co-workers are not. What is it about you that makes you stand out from the world? I believe it's the Spirit of God in you. It's the love of God that dwells in you. It's the fruit of His Spirit that comes forth out of you. The kindness or the acts of kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, all of these self-control, all of these fruits are really what distinguish us from somebody that doesn't know the Lord. It's been said that the Christian is always a love debtor. No matter how much love he or she gives, love is a debt one can never fully discharge. In other words, we've been called to love our neighbor. And there there won't come a point at which, like you've paid the bill off, where you say, you know what, (laughs) I think I've come to the end of this. I've paid out as much as I really need to pay out. We're called and we're indebted to continually discharge this love. There was a church father by the name of Origen. He was in the third, uh, third century, and this is what he wrote concerning these verses. He says, the debt of love remains with us permanently, and it never leaves us. This is a debt which we both discharge every day and forever owe. It never stops. The greatest of these is love, we read in 1 Corinthians 13. Out of all of those gifts, and the greatest of these is love. It's at the pinnacle of who Jesus is. It's at the pinnacle of who God is when he sent his son into this world to die for the sins of the world. This love for others that we possess, it has a foundation in your walk with Christ. That foundation that was laid into your heart the day you received Christ, was based upon your coming to realize how great and how magnificent God's love is towards you while you were still a sinner. It laid a foundation in your Christian walk. This love relationship that now has been established between you and God. It wasn't there before and now it has. And you know what? And I don't even deserve it. And he loves me. And I go my Christian walk sometimes doubting and questioning through circumstances of life the love of God. And and many times we're reminded, but I love you. And God extends that love to us in ways through people and through circumstances. And he reaffirms his love. How many times have you needed to have love towards you reaffirmed? But that foundation that was laid down in our lives 
In Romans chapter 8, verse 35, we're told what can separate us from the love of Christ. So tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword, would any of those things separate you from the love of God? No. That's the answer. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do you see yourself that way? A conqueror? Somebody that has overcame? There's something, nothing can separate you from his love. And that's why you're a conqueror. Because I cannot be separated from the love of God. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's pretty inclusive. That's pretty, that speaks about everything. Nothing. It's that foundation that we have. The Apostle John, who is referred to by some as the Apostle of Love. And the reason why he's called the Apostle of Love is because out of all the Apostles, he has spoken and written more on the issue of love than any of them. He wrote in 1 John 3.11, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. It's not new. I'm not telling anyone that knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior something brand new right now. This is something that you knew from the beginning. From the beginning of the time that you came to realize His love for you. That you should love one another. In 1 John 3.23, it says... And this is His commandment, speaking about God's commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He has given us commandment. In 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, speaking to Christians, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. In other words, Really, the greatest indicator that you're really a Christian is do you have love one for another? That's not just here in the church. That's at home. That's outside the church. Do you have love one for another? That agape love. That supernatural love. In 1 John 4, 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. What's he mean by that? God's love being perfected in you. In other words, before you knew Christ, you didn't love God by your very nature. He sought you out. He extended His love towards you, and then you came to know the love of God in your life. But that love relationship didn't stop there. 
the love relationship that you have with the Lord should be one of a continual, continual growing in that love, maturing in that love. You should be able to say as a Christian, I'm more in love with God today than I was a year ago. I'm actually growing, I'm actually falling more and more in love with my Lord. That should be, that's, that should be part of each one of our lives. And if we're not, we have to ask ourselves, why not? What are we doing to cultivate that love relationship? Am I seeking to be obedient to God in my life? Am I walking wholeheartedly after Him? And in doing so, that love relationship's going to grow. As you get into God's Word and you understand His love for you in a greater way, that love relationship is going to grow. It's important for us to know that we should be growing in love towards God. And you know what will be the outcome? You know what will be the fruit of it? You're going to have love towards others in a way that you've never seen before. You see, this love that should be flowing out of our life should be an overflow of what's happening this way. And when it's happening this way, you're going to love your spouse like you're called to love her. And you're going to love those neighbors like you're called to love them. It's going to be an overflow of what God has already done in you, in your relationship with Him. In 2 John 1.5, John wrote this, And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which you have had from the beginning, that we love one another. On the last night, the night that Jesus was going to be arrested, he was in that upper room with his disciples. In John 13, Jesus said this to his disciples, A new commandment I give to you. Speaking to his, his 12 disciples that were there, that you love one another. As I have loved you, and that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Uh, why? This, just think how important this must have been. This is the last night. This is the night of his arrest. Before he was going to go to the cross, he felt that these would be the words that he would want his disciples to hear about love, loving one another and the commandment that he had given them. In John chapter 15, that same night, he said it again. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he adds to it by saying this, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friend. I've asked you to memorize a verse many times. 1 John 3.16. This is how we perceive the love of God, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought also to lay down our life for one another. That's a high calling, isn't it? It's something that's impossible. Uh, to, to lay down my life for one another. But God calls us to do that. Jesus also in John 15, 17, that same night, he says, These things I command you, 
that you love one another. Three times. Three different parts of his conversing with his disciples that they would love one another. Sounds like it might be important. Paul also made the point in 1 Corinthians 16, 14. He said, let all that you do be done with love. Let all that you do be done with love. John, in 1 John 3, 16, which I already shared, giving our lives and laying down our lives for one another, that's the ultimate, we could say, proof. It's the ultimate proof of Christ in you. That willingness to lay down your life for one another. One person put it this way, this love debt is paid daily, but it is never paid up. It's paid daily, but it's never paid up. In other words, we need to continue to do it. It's a continual thing. It's a continual command to continue to love one another. Practically speaking, and there's a lot of practical ways that we could apply this, but in light of what's going on with this hurricane right now, here's some practical application to it all. If you were to be driving down your road and see in some way that you could come alongside somebody, that you could help, that you could ease the load, that you could just really just show that person in some way. Maybe it's somebody you don't even know, but it's your neighbor. Maybe that's not your neighbor on your street. It's your, just your neighbor in the sense that I'm going to extend myself in Christ's love to this person. That's a practical way that we're to, called to love our neighbor and fulfill the law of God. Paul goes on in verses 9 to 10, speaking about this law of love. Look at your Bibles, verse 9. For the commandments, plural, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, now we're talking about the Ten Commandments. And he's not listing all ten here. He's listing some of those commandments. But the ones that he's listing have to do with our relationship with one another. We have the first part of the Ten Commandments that have to do with our relationship with God this way. The second part, half of them, has to do with relationship and loving one another this way. Paul is actually in this verse quoting from Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. And this is how this verse reads. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's Leviticus 19.18. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, He said this to His disciples, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor 
and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Wow, that's got to be a different kind of love to be able to do that. But that's what he did towards us. That's what he calls us to do. You have heard that it is said, we could just say, that doesn't make sense. Try to say that to somebody that doesn't know Christ and see how much sense that makes to them. But it makes sense to us as Christians when we have received this love that we can extend it even to those that would persecute us, to those that would say something against us, to those that we struggle with. God, would you help us that we might love them like you've loved me? Jesus had an opportunity to speak to a young man. He was a ruler. He was a man of importance. And Jesus said to this rich young ruler, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. And he was speaking of God. But if you want to enter into life, he says to him, then keep the commandments. This is how Jesus responds to this young man. And he said to Jesus, he says, which ones? And Jesus says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's how Jesus responded to him. It's not necessarily how we would have responded, but it's how Jesus responded to him. And then he told him to go sell all he had and give to the poor, and then come and follow me. And it says that the man went away because he had much riches. You see, this command to love your neighbor as yourself, fulfilling the whole law, that's a big command. As a matter of fact, the rest of the commands, if you just read through them, the Pharisees all the time tried to say, well, I've done that. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't murdered. I haven't stole. On the surface, it would seem as if they've lived up to it. But to love your neighbor as yourself? When the scribes one day asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus responded to them and he says, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like it, Jesus says. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hangs all the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets in the mind of the scribes and the Pharisees meant all of the whole of the Torah, all of God's word in their mind. It hangs on that. The, all the law and all of the prophets hang on these two commandments. How big of a deal is it in keeping this commandment that we're talking about this morning? 
Well, one day, a scribe that overheard Jesus talking to some of the Sadducees. In Mark chapter 12, verse 28, as he was listening in on Jesus and his conversation that he was having with these Sadducees, he acknowledged that what Jesus was saying to them, that he, what he was saying was well. He was, he was saying the right things to these Sadducees. Which is the first commandment of all? And, and so he asked him that question. Now he wants to dialogue with Jesus. Which is the first commandment of all? He says to Jesus. And Jesus answered him. He says, the first of all the commandments is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. No other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to Jesus, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth. For there is one God, and there is no other but He. And to love Him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, and listen to what He says, is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. He's saying that it's more than all, or the whole, of all of the burnt sacrifices burnt offerings and sacrifices, and Jesus responds to that. He says, now, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you were not far from the kingdom of God. That's how Jesus responded. He said the right thing. He says it's more than all of the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. You mean God cares about me loving my neighbor and loving him and loving my neighbor as the primary thing that would govern my walk as a Christian more than coming to church? More than giving to God? You know, giving tithes and offerings and bringing my sacrifices here to church? doing all those things that we do as Christians, you know, on the outward things that we do. But if we don't have love, if that is not the predominant thing, and it's all about just our sacrifices and what we give, God says, keep them. I don't want them. Keep your sacrifices. Love me and love others, and thus you will fulfill, fulfill the law of God. Jesus, on another day, was asked the question about who is our neighbor in Luke 10. And we're told that, behold, there was a certain lawyer who stood up and tested Jesus one day. He said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in your law? 
What is your reading of it? And so the lawyer answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. You see, they knew what their words said, don't they? They knew what the law said. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest, underline that, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, you might underline that, when he arrived at the place, he came and he looked and he passed on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, remember the Jews didn't like Samaritans because they were half Jews. They didn't like Samaritans. The one that probably should not have done what was right, we read that a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. So he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to his inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three, Jesus says, do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. That's what he calls us to do. Go and do likewise. Go find those people. Look for those people. Look for those that are your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? That person in need. That person that is calling out for help. That person that we could extend the love of God to. That's our neighbor. Don't confuse it with the person that just lives next door to you and everybody else outside of that you don't need to deal with. Paul writing in Galatians 5.13, he says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled, and listen to what he says in one word. All the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's that word love. 
But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. He sums it up into one word or one statement, we could say. To love your neighbor as yourself. It sounds like what we're reading here that this is extremely important for us to grab hold of. It's at the crux of who we are as Christians. Loving God is the root and loving others is what springs out of that root. It's important for us to know. In James chapter 2, verse 5, James gets very practical when it comes to this issue. He says, listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law, and here he calls it the royal law, according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Practically speaking, James gets to the nuts and the bolts of it all. Loving our neighbor, fulfilling the royal law, has to do with what comes out of our heart, what is evidenced in our actions and how we treat people and what we do. That is showing the love of God towards our neighbor. This commandment that we find in Leviticus 19.18 is really the one law that we're called to obey and to fulfill. There's a lot of laws throughout the Old Testament, many of them. 500 and some different laws that were given, some that apply only to the Jew and not to, not to the church. We look at the law, the Ten Commandments, you know, in the, that first part, you shall have no other gods before me. First commandment. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Those first four commandments of the Ten. But we can say this of those four. If we love God this way, with all of our heart and with all of our soul and mind, you're not going to have any other gods. If you love God, you're not going to make any other false idols, are you? If you love God, you're not going to take His name in vain. If you love God, you're going to remember the Sabbath and you're going to keep it holy. Because God called me to. The other rest of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. All of those have to do with your relationship this way, at this level with mankind. 
with one another. But we could say that if you love man, then you're going to honor your mother and father. If you love man, you're not going to murder. If you love man, you're not going to steal, are you? If you love man, you're not going to bear false witness against your brother. If you love man, you're not going to covet. You won't do it. It's why we can sum it up in that. That all of the law hinges upon this. If you love God this way and you love man this way, the way God has called, you fulfill the whole law. All of them. You just, you, you'll fulfill it. Verse 9, it says in, ver, in the second half of verse 9, and if there is any other commandment, it says, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. They're all summed up in that statement. All of the law. One commentator put it this way. It is a certain thing that a person will love himself. Do you all love yourself? Some of you might be thinking, you know, I have a hard time loving myself. You know what I say to that? You don't. You, you might have some things there that you go, you know, but you really do love yourself. And the reason why is because, you know, you're typically the first one you take care of when you get out of bed every day. When you're hungry and when you do, you know, you get a shower and you do, you know, I don't love myself. But you're taking care of business and you're doing all this stuff, you know, and, and you know, it is a certain thing that a person will love himself. And it is also certain that he will do so in spite of the fact that the self he loves has many faults. So think of that. Think of all of your faults that you have as a human being, as a Christian. And you still love yourself. You're still good with yourself. I'm still all right. You still take care of yourself. You see, loving ourself is not the issue. You know, I, I went on and I just clicked on about loving yourself. You know, all this stuff comes up on here. Oh, we need to love ourselves before we can ever love people. You know, all this stuff that, you know, the psychologists want, you know, you don't love yourself. You need to learn to love yourself. You know, we do love ourselves. We might have other issues that are struggling, but we really do love ourselves. And we even love ourselves in all of our faults. And He loves us even in all of our weaknesses and faults. And we're called to extend that love towards others, even in all of their faults. Have you ever noticed that you still do everything you can to first make sure that you're taken care of? That's our flesh. Our flesh takes care of self. 
we're number one. It, that's even the case even in a married relationship. Taking care of self. It's our flesh. It's, it's, it's our makeup in this flesh. Here's a false statement. This is false statement. Loving ourselves can appear so difficult. It seems much easier to love someone else. I say that's false. I think it's more difficult to love somebody else than to love myself. Because I take care of business here. But to lay down my life for somebody else, that's that's difficult. Paul says in verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor. You see that? Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. What Paul is saying is loving our neighbor is revealed by the fact that we would do them no harm. That's what reveals the fact that, we were, that we're actually loving them. That we wouldn't do them any harm. Like we read at the last half of the Ten Commandments. Paul is not trying to put his back under the law with this statement about the fulfillment of the law, like we're living under the law and gaining our salvation. He's not trying to put his back under the law. He's saying that if we truly love our neighbor, this love will manifest itself in not committing adultery, in not killing, in not stealing, in not coveting. Do you see what Paul is saying there? Love does no harm to our neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. If we're really loving our neighbor, you're not going to do anything that would harm. In light of this command to love one another, Paul says this in verse 11. He says, and do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time, or literally the hour has already come, is what he's saying. In other words, the time is now. Awake out of sleep, Christians. The time is now. Awake out of sleep, or awake out of your indifference, or awake out of your stupor. Christians, to eternal things, to the important things, to the thing that we're talking about here. It's time. It's high time to awake out of sleep. For our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Isn't that exciting? As each day passes, That day of salvation, that day of the Lord, that day of Christ's return is that much closer. And and, and in between now and the time that he comes back, and we don't know when that's going to be. It could be anywhere. It could be today, right? Somewhere in here, 
in that time frame, it's high time. It's now. Now is the time. In other words, there's only a limited amount of time that we can be used of the Lord in these ways. To be awakened out of our indifference and stupor and sleep. That we would be living in expectancy as Christians of Christ's return. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak to your shame. Basically, he's correcting the Corinthian church. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for not everyone has the knowledge of God. In other words, we need to be a witness. We need to be busy about what God has called us to do as Christians. Look at verse 12. The night, whenever you see the night in Scripture, it always has a reference to evil. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. We need to cast off Just like we would remove our clothing and toss it to the side. We're to to cast off the works of darkness. And then we need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Like you were putting on a new set of clothes. That we would put on this new garment. That Christ would be seen in, in us, in our life. Put off those works of darkness. And put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what separates us from people that don't know Christ. It's what makes the difference in our witness. You see, people want to see something that is different about us. They don't want to just hear our words. Oh, you know, Jesus loves you. You know, hey, you want to go to heaven? You know, I mean, we just, we have a lot of words. But what about our life? What about our actions? 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, John writes, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. We don't know what, is, what we're going to be when we're in that glorified body in heaven, but we know that when He is revealed, when God's revealed, we will be like Him. For we will see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope, if you have this hope, it says He purifies Himself just as He is pure. In other words, if you have the hope of Christ's return reigning in your heart day in and day out, you know that He's coming back, you're anticipating it, you're waiting for it in confident expectation, you're going to probably be living a life that is one that wants to be pleasing to God. I want to live for you, Lord. I want to live this one day unto you. Paul says that we're to put off these things like revelry and drunkenness and lewdness and lust and strife and envy. All of these are just sins of the flesh. That He says, says, put these things on. And then in verse 14, he says, and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put Him on. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. You see, if you're putting on Christ, uh, you're going to have a lot 
easier of a, a time in your walk with Christ to, to actually not sin. You're going to find more victories going on in your life. Because I'm putting Him on every day. I'm spending time with Him. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing those works of darkness wanting to rise up, but I, I, I put those things off and I put Him on. And I make, make no provision for the flesh. Don't give the, the devil an inch. Don't let him get in by just giving him a little bit. Because when we do that, he'll, he'll take a mile, won't he? He'll get in there and he'll run with it. Paul sums it all up by saying, put on Christ so that people might see Christ in you. Put Him on. Let the fruit of God's love be evident in you. Every day, practically speaking. I'm just talking about when we're out in the real world. It can happen here at church, but I'm talking about every day. Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We put Him on the day that we gave our life to Christ. The day that we came to know Him, we put Him on. But the problem is, is that we put Him on and sometimes we've left Him in the closet this week. We hung Him up in the closet and went about living like the world. We need to put Him back on. Don't direct any of your tensions, your attentions towards your flesh. Your flesh wants what it wants. We all know that. It wants what it wants, and sometimes we find ourselves giving in to our flesh, and sometimes we find ourselves resisting our flesh. And we do it in the power of God. We are never called as Christians to fulfill something that God has not enabled us to do. He doesn't say, do this, and then as you do it, figure out how you're going to keep doing it or figure out how you can do it. He says, come to me, come to my word, learn from me, and I'll show you how you can walk victoriously as a Christian. He never tells us to do something and then not give us the ability to do it. He is both in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.